The career field I have most young adults interested in is engineering. Engineering is a demanding field with high paying salaries, and we are very fortunate to have our seventh podcast guest, Terry Welch, who is the CEO of Sinclair Belgrave Energy. What engineering degree does he hold? Well, he actually has two. One degree in electrical engineering and a second in chemical engineering, which made him an ideal podcast guest. Terry has worked for large companies such as Dow Chemical, BP, and the Sinclair Group in positions from operations through the ranks to president and CEO. He's a graduate of Lamar University, has an MBA from Northwood University, and is a graduate of the Thunderbird School of Global Management. He shares he's not a stereotypical engineer, as he loves to be around people. Engineering has taught him to ask why, which has led to his continued success in his field. It's an honor to have him share his career story and words of wisdom for our future engineers. Well, Terry, first of all, thank you so much for making time um, to meet with us and to share your story. I, I have to tell you, I have just met Terry not long ago. Um, his wife and I worked together at Angela State University, gosh, probably 30 years ago. And as I was launching my podcast, I asked people if they had anyone who they felt would be a great guest. And she messaged me and said, okay, I think you need to meet my husband because he's an engineer, which is obviously a field that I want to make sure that we talk about. And of course, in my intro, he didn't choose just to have one engineering degree. He wanted to have two. And so that intrigued me. And we had a great conversation about a week ago, and I am really thrilled to have him. I think he's going to be an incredible resource and insight for my clients who are, are considering engineering fields. So welcome, Terry. And thank you very much for having me on this podcast. And uh, as you said, when Janelle told me about uh, maybe participating in this podcast, uh, I got very excited about it because I think, uh, one, I'm in a very interesting field, but uh, also I really am very passionate about helping others succeed in their fields and succeed in what they want to do. So uh, I, I applaud you for what you're doing with uh, a lot of these individuals. Well, thank you so much. And that was absolutely my takeaway. When we spoke, I was like, okay, he's going to be the perfect person to have this conversation. And I always like to kick it off and say, all right, tell me how you got into your career. Tell me about your college experience. Obviously, that's going to be a, of um, it's going to be interesting to a lot of my young adults because <laughs> Honestly, they're just trying to do one engineering major. And so tell us a little bit about why you decided to do two and, and how you got to where you are. Well, you know, uh, I always start off. I was a, uh, a boy that grew up in a small town called Port Arthur, Texas. So uh, didn't have anything famous about it. You know, it was, it was a town that had both uh, people that worked in the oil and gas industry, but people that didn't work in the oil and gas and. I had an older brother that went into college and started getting his electrical engineering degree. And, and I love math and science. Uh, uh, but I would say I had an English teacher that probably saved me through high school and got me to, uh, to, to see that there was a lot more than just the, uh, the science side of the field. And I, I went off to a university, but I wanted to choose a small university to go into because I, I wanted to make sure I connected and really got 
a very strong experience in college. And, uh, and by choosing to go to Lamar University, I was really given, I think, uh, an excellent opportunity to start that field in, in electrical engineering. But then I had this passion for, for chemistry. And I love to see things kind of get developed, researched, and then, and then you know, put into into action or or actually uh, be proven out. And I went to my dean of the university and I said, I know I'm, I'm my degree path is electrical engineering, but I'm very interested in chemical engineering. And what would it take for me to be able to to succeed and and get that second degree? And I was really expecting him to say, well, stay here for another four years and get you your second degree. And he sat down with me and worked out a curriculum and a plan that allowed me to take the benefits of both and to actually walk out with uh, two two degrees at one time, electrical and chemical engineering, which really allowed me from an engineering standpoint, really start to understand the, what I call problem solving, which is what engineers do. But the, my college education gave me one other great experience, and sports has given me this experience. And I really want your listeners to, to understand that it's not just all about being good in one side of the field like science. You need to also be able to work and relate with people. And when I was in college, the opportunities I had with organizations, with groups, uh, the opportunities I had in high school through sports, uh, even in college with sports, learned me, helped me really learn how to work and be part of a team and be able to give back into the team environment. I think good leadership is not about what who follows you. It's really about who you help and who you help develop to become a better team player. And so that, through college, that was my real experiences in time, those Three elements together, the, the science, the two degrees, and the people side uh, was really what I got out of college and really what led me to really want to stop, start my development into uh, my professional career, career in the energy sector. You know, everyone, we live in Texas, and, and I do have listeners all over the U.S., but for Texas, the engineering school that, that comes to mind is A&M. And oftentimes it may not be the right place for them. And I'm so glad you talked about that because there's so many opportunities that exist with a smaller school that will not exist with a larger school. And I love how you said that you went um, to your department head and said, okay, how can I mesh all of this together? And they made it happen. I can't tell you how many people I have, how many clients I've worked with who are at AM and they want to change their major and they're not able to because they're in that track. And a lot of people don't realize that. And I just, I think it's criminal, by the way. Um, that's why we go to, to a university is for us to get a degree that is for us, not to check a box for the, the institution. So I love that you talk about the involvement piece. Obviously, that's where I started my career. Um, is student activity, student life. I think it's critical for being well-balanced and um, learning those life skills that ultimately does play into having a career. What's also fascinating, and I loved in your bio, (laughs) I laughed. You're very funny, by the way. You said, you know, I'm not like normal engineers. I like people. (laughs) And what's hilarious about that, and I even kind of even talk about this with my IT 
individuals, where the money is, where you can really, really exceed, excel and be different is if you have that technical background, but you have the people skills. That's like the, 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 the golden oh, yes. ticket. Well, you know, I think when we were talking before, one of the things I shared is that, uh, you know, by, by gaining that experience and being exposed to it and, and having a lot of really good mentors early in my life, both teachers, coaches, parents, uh, neighbors that were willing to guide me in that space and continue to reinforce to me the importance of people as I was gaining my education. Uh, it helped me when I got into the job market because uh, I think I shared with you a lot of uh, companies that I interviewed with. The first thing they asked me, they said, well, which degree do you plan to become a professional in? And that stunned me because I was like, I got, I have two degrees. I'd like to be able to use them both. And 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 decide later on because you know I'm a 22 year old and I'm still trying to figure out what my life's about. And when uh, when Dow Chemical interviewed on campus, I remember the individual so clearly. The question that he first asked me in the interview was, mm. "What do you want to do?" And I went, "Well, I want to go and learn, and I want to work on projects and work with people and 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 see my work." come out and, and make good things to happen, both for the company and and for the for the world that I live in. And he goes, we have a philosophy in Dow. You can do anything you want to do. If you take the initiative, you learn, you put yourself in that place, there are no limitations. I didn't have to interview with anybody. Mm. I knew mm. that was the right company I wanted to go work for. And for 24 and a half years, I had an exceptionally great career with them. Uh, I had a, when I retired, I retired from, from Dow with a lot of great friends. But I also had a great opportunity to go to another company at that time. But it, that early stage uh, in my career, people helped me start to frame what I wanted to look for. And if I could, again, with the listeners on board that are, are thinking about engineering careers or non-technical careers or technical careers in the in more mm-hmm. of the technician avenue the the skilled labor uh it's not just about saying i want to become a welder it's talking to people about what does it mean to be a welder because I, I will tell you i ran across a lot of welders in my in my in my uh professional career in the industry and these individuals are key to mm-hmm. us building plants maintaining plants, building pipelines, as most of the skilled labor. And a lot of times they've only gone into it and they think that's all they can do in the rest of their career. When you start talking about taking those skills and becoming foreman and teaching others, because mm-hmm, that's what right. most of them want to do. They want to go out and help others learn those skills. And that was something I learned early on. And I want anybody starting to look or think about uh, what educational path they want to have is talk mm-hmm. to a lot of people about it, gain a perspective, figure out what you're really good at, what you're passionate and you love about, and and start down that path and see where it takes you. Well, it's interesting because I will have clients who 
have aptitudes that show that they are better aligned for the technician or technologist roles, which are two-year degrees, excuse me, and they want to work with their hands. And sometimes I tell them, you know, for many engineering degrees, you're planning. You're not actually doing the work with your hands. So if you're wanting to work with your hands and you want to be active, then let's look at that pay scale and, and the sustainability and the job market, which is huge, as you well know, yeah. right? We have a, a deficit for the two-year associate degrees. Yes. Oh, uh, and it's one that's getting wider and wider and wider for this industry. And for the energy industry, and I, I believe this, and it's something that I think as leaders in the energy industry, we have to do a better job of communicating to the individuals with the technician and technologist career path, helping in the school systems to show them the value in our industry. And then for the for the the college degree engineers and geophysicists and geologists, we have to show them that we're also an industry that is attractable to the talent coming out of college, Mm -hmm. that we're not, as some people have told me, the dinosaur industry, Mm. that we are becoming more aggressive in our technology. We, We are finding fuel sources that are environmentally friendly, that are going to help us continue to address our issues that we have, both from an environmental safety aspect, but bring good competitive quality fuels so that we can continue to progress the way people live. Right. And and I, that's why I tell people, if you look at the cars we drive, the homes we have, the, the, the food that is grown, the, the materials that go into the home, to the, to the clothing and everything that we wear, that all starts with a reliable energy source. And it takes people to produce energy. There's, I've not found an oil well yet that just decided one day to put itself in the ground and produce oil. It took people to put it, to put that equipment in the ground. It takes people to operate it. It takes people to improve it. It takes people to, to market it. It takes people to provide it at the service and deliver it into refined products that then come to each one of us who are users mm-hmm. of it. And, uh, I think it's an industry that is very fascinating and one that is growing and we need people. We need good quality people, both in the technical side, as well as the, the engineering side to, to come into our industry. And, you know, I, I will tell you, um, I shared with this, this with you when we spoke earlier, cause I'm, I want to be real and authentic. I have so many young adults who will not consider the oil and gas because are that this generation is all about environment. Mm-hmm. And so kind of kind of walk through how how do you deal with individuals and educate them about because we a lot of the engineering fields are now considered green. In fact, the majority of them are through the Department of Labor. They they say they're fast growing and then they're green. Those are kind of the two distinctions that they give. So tell me yes. tell me a little bit about that. Well, yeah, I, I think, again, in the energy side, we've always been, we've been labeled so much about, you know, bringing the reserve or the, or the resource out of the ground and not thinking about 
the environmental aspects of it. And that could be through flaring. That could be through, uh, you know, uh, the technologies that we use for drilling. And we really don't spend a lot of time to educate people in, I call it the secondary education system. You know, young adults, young kids that are starting to form their opinions. Uh, you know, we have done a lot more, I will say, to probably get on TVs to try to produce commercials that kind of show it. But we really haven't gotten into the fundamental education mm-hmm. system to start to change people's minds by providing to them what the technologies that we are. You know, today, our ability to bring natural gas out or oil is 30 to 50 times more efficient than what it was 10 years ago. Our, our, our machines that are used for drilling are more efficient. They take less energy. The oil that comes out is cleaner than what it was 20 years ago. The, the gas that comes out is a very clean fuel. And the, the aspects we need engineers and jolly because we want to continue to reduce our footprint, the amount it takes us to produce these, these resources. We also have in a lot of places the technology, the, the digital aspect of our industry, the, the artificial intelligence. It's one of the fastest growing industries today. We are doing more in the field to bring artificial intelligence and digitalization in the field so that we can use it to become more productive, more efficient, produce low cost oil so that it goes down the, the pipeline and it becomes very accessible to the individuals who are needing it, either in gasoline or in refined products. And that takes very skilled people mm-hmm. to come in this industry. Uh, the way I kind of say, you know, the oil industry in the Permian in Texas, you know, back in the, the 30s, the 50s, and the 60s, it was brute force. Mm. It was a lot of manual labor. Go put it. But, you know, even the agriculture industry was that way 20 to 30 years ago. Even the car industry was that way 20 to 30 years ago. Uh, the computer industry was that way you know, 20 years ago. With the, with the accessibility of computers and the computer power, all those industries are moving forward. And with one focus, reduce our footprint, lower our emissions, Get our get our costs down so it's more affordable. And what I seen we have done with recovery of natural gas, with the recovery of oil, with the reduction in water use in the oil and gas industry, we have made tremendous leaps and bounds of forty to fifty to sixty percent improvements. And we're on a, we're on a, a mission to go that way. You're seeing more of the of the majors start to make those kind of announcements of you know, getting to net carbon zero. Uh, and that is the drive of where the industry is going. And and to me, is a is for an engineer or for somebody that has very good technical skills uh, or to weld or for pipe fit or for operations or for maintenance, it's a great industry. It pays well. Benefits are good. Work schedules are, you know, flexible today compared to what they used to be in the past and are adapting to to the generations that are coming up. 
And I think it's a field that they they should look at and learn more about. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned kind of the pay as um, I was preparing for the research, just because there are so many different engineering fields. Um, Just as an overall broad statement, there's massive demand. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Chemical is <laughs> 6% overall growth, 20% in Texas. Um, and those salaries are starting at 64, average is about 128, and then 208,000. So yes. that, that's just for chemical. Electrical has about a 5% growth US wise, with 13, almost 14,000 projected annual openings, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. In Texas, we're at 18%. And so those salaries for electrical is about 66000 99000 average, and then 159000 And then you go into mechanical, which has a little bit less growth, but still 22000 projected openings U.S.-wise. Texas mm-hmm. at nineteen, um, and they're 64000 and 158000 um, So just overall... When I look to see how many engineering jobs right now in Indeed are being advertised for Texas. Now, when I say engineering, it'll pick up technician or technologist. But right now in Texas that need to be filled on Indeed are 32,000 jobs. And in the U.S. today, as I as we have this podcast, there's almost a half a million. Oh, yeah. It's it, crazy. It, it, Crazy amount. You know, and the field is only going to grow because uh, there's going to be new fuels found. There's going to be new ways of, of extracting the resources that we need to produce the energy that we need. Uh, you know, as I, as I look at the energy industry, it, it is a mixture of energy resources. It's not just coal or, or crude oil. But it's natural gas. There's some solar. There's some wind. Mm-hmm, right. And and those engineers all play in those fields too. Right. Right. And so and so uh, and the technical because you know you have to have good skilled workers to make sure that equipment goes in the field and is maintained appropriately right. and developed. So so it is a it's a, to me it's a great place. It's, I've had a lot of fun in it. But I'll also say you get a lot of diversity in when you go into these fields, because I think I shared with you when we were talking, you know, one of the jobs I had, uh, I had in my career while I was with Dow was I was asked to take over the environmental operations. And, you know, here's an engineer that produced a lot of products and then suddenly was asked to run the environmental operations for the Dow chemical company, which, you know, spanned 23, 25 different countries. (laughs) It was in developing countries all the way to, you know, established operations that have been around for close to, you know, 60 to 65 years, but uh, with a whole lot of different issues and opportunities. But we we created a vision and a mindset that today is even living on, which was we wanted to take anything that we considered to be a waste and at least determine if we could turn it into a usable secondary product. And continue to produce that. And in the time I had was part of that operations, working with those individuals, that team, with the help with the with the work and the help with the with the businesses, reduced our waste 
by over 60%. It was over a billion dollars worth of value created in a four and a half year period. And that was because of engineers and, and technical people that could put their heads together and look at issues that before somebody would say, no, we can't do anything with that. And they looked at good ways and inventive ways to change that around and start to produce a waste into a usable product and get continued value out of it. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was a fun job. We turned an operation where a lot of people looked at it as not a place to go to. Suddenly we were attracting all the young talent, all the, the, the engineers that were looking to, to get involved in making differences to come into that operations. So what is the kind of person that you like to hire? You know, and that's a very good question. Now, I'll, I want an individual that is wanting to learn, really wanting to, to, to not just take what they see or what they hear and stop right there. I want them to con continue to strive to find out what can be different about it, get that understanding so that they can master it and make sure that it's done right. And then I want an individual that, wants to share, hmm. wants to really help their peer, help their person next to them. And I'm not talking about the person that has to talk about what they did all day long. I'm talking about the person that's really willing to share when they know something and, and help somebody else out when, when they need help. And then the third thing I'm looking for somebody is I want them to have a high level of trust. I want them to have honesty. I want them to, to if something doesn't go right, mm -hmm. stand up and say it didn't go right. Because you know what? Nine out of 10 times, it didn't go right for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we can learn from that and we can help people continue to develop. And so it's really somebody that's wanting to develop, something, somebody that is willing to really be part of the team and help out. And then somebody that really wants to have a high level of trust and honesty to continue to do the right things. Mm -hmm. So how are, because I know a lot has been said around um, young adults, adults, that they don't fail, right? In high school, we, you know, the whole everybody gets a trophy, um, yep. which I have to say having a high school student, I see failure, and even in my college student, I see failure. So sometimes I don't like those generalizations. But, you know, it, failing can cost a company a lot of money. Um, and do you find that with the people that you're hiring, you have to teach them that failing is actually okay? We have to. We have to teach them that failing is okay. But we also have to teach them that, you know, we're, we're, we're in a place that performance it's something that is required to deliver. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a performance at any cost. It's mm -hmm. performance. And part of performance is also learning from your mistakes. And that failure is going to be okay. Because if you don't try something and see if it works or doesn't. Now, as part of trying that, who have you talked to? Who have you gained insights from to make that ex to, to go ahead and do this as best you can. But if it doesn't work right, what did you learn from it? And what are you going to do different mm -hmm. next? That's how we drive performance to continue to improve. 
I had a boss once that said, you know, if we're not continuing to strive for a new goal, we're going to get stagnant Mm -hmm. and we're never going to improve. And when people don't improve, then people start to lose interest. When they start to lose interest, safety and other things become at risk. Mm -hmm. And so you need to all and the goals that you can achieve and then help the team begin to look at it and Kind of the philosophy I've always taken is once as a leader, I know where we want to go. I will give them the final exam. And my goal is to help teach them how to succeed at that final exam by the end. Uh, Each one of them will succeed a little differently when they get there. And it's the collective part of them that makes that goal achievable. So how important do you feel a GPA is in college? So I think a GPA is like our yardstick in college, but it's not the end all. Uh, I think it shows your desire to learn. I think it's how you talk about your GPA when you're talking to an employer. Because mm. I've had a lot of 4.0 individuals come into my organization. Some of those individuals, after a while, really realized this wasn't what they wanted to do. Mm. Uh because they didn't, it wasn't, they were more inclined to either be in research or go and, and go back into the academic world. Uh, but I take any student that comes out that's worked hard at their GPA and talk about what they've learned from their GPA, either through the work experience that they've gained or through the, through the, uh, through the, through the colleges and their experiences there and what they've done. I'll take that solid person right there versus somebody that really has no experience and they're, they got the four point on it, but they don't know how to, how to engage in the real world. Yeah. And I, I, th- I love that answer. I, that's what I tell <laughs> my clients when I'm working with them because high performers often gets, they get hyper-focused on that GPA and everything else goes to the wayside. They don't participate. You know, they're studying five hours a night. They're not sleeping. They may have that 4.0, but they are not balanced. And, you know, I obviously, being in a somewhat of a mental health field, I'm very passionate about that conversation. But sometimes they don't, they don't believe it. And so, and especially in an engineering field where, and I'm curious your thought on this, a majority of all engineers as a statistic have bachelor's <laughs> degrees. Now, you're yes. an exception to that. You you have your master's degrees, but tell me tell me your philosophy on getting the master's degree or the bachelor. Okay. Well, I think to be a solid engineer takes a bachelor's degree because you learn the fundamentals and then you learn more when you come into the industry and start to work. Uh as I take you take theory from the from the from the college and you put it into real world application. Uh, I also think while you're getting your bachelor's, I'll throw this in. I think you should get work experience Mm -hmm. too at the same time Mm -hmm. Uh, because it allows you to start to understand the team environment and the work environment. And I, and I truly see the difference of an individual who gained work experience while they were getting their BA versus somebody who went four years or five years whatever the career, and never went outside to get that work experience. Mm-hmm. And I was very privileged. I was able to do that. And it helped me 
gain a lot of insights. I think your choice of an of an MBA and and there are some research fields that truly does require you to get a master's and a doctorate to to progress that research and 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 a lot of companies will tell you that's where they hire at is that mm-hmm. that master of research that's not the abundance of the right. of the jobs in the field. I think I chose to get my master's after I got out into the industry mm-hmm. and the reason why I chose to get my master's was I wanted to learn some additional skill sets around leadership. I wanted to understand the global market more about leadership and how to lead in a global market. And so I focused my master's degree in that area to gain that knowledge. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have got that. I wouldn't have gotten that if I would have tried to do that right after I graduated out of college. Mm -hmm because I wouldn't have had the understanding and the work experience to do it. Right. Right. Uh, I also, I also believe you just don't get a master's just to get a master's. Yes, I it doesn't do anything. Any, it doesn't do anything else for you unless you love the diploma on your wall. Mm-hmm. That's what you want, but you need to, when you get in the industry, think about it and say, that's what I want to do. Uh, same thing I'll say for, let's say somebody who comes through the two-year program and then they get into leadership. They might want to go back and pick up a general engineering degree program that allows them to gain leadership skills, become a strong foreman or strong supervisor. That's later on in their career. And typically, companies are aligned to try to help leaders right. like that gain that skill set. And they, often, where, they actually pay for it. They pay for it. Mm-hmm. And, and and so that's why I tell people, unless the field you're going to go into requires you to have that upper level degree, uh, I would tell you to go get your work experience mm-hmm. and get in the work environment, get acclimated, and then become where does that upper level degree help you progress your development in the field or in the si- part of the field that you want to? Is it more leadership or I don't like the word management. It's more leadership mm-hmm. or more technical. Yeah. And that's, I am all about aligning what you're going to do with the requirement of the degree. What does, what is, what is, what does the majority have? And more education, yeah. funny enough, actually can hurt you if you're in a field that does not require it. So being mindful of that is really important. Um, so, let me ask you a really quick question. Do you find that a lot of people in your field, um, because it's such a global um, career pathway, tell me about foreign languages. Okay. Well, you know, in the energy industry, and it will be that way for, I think, several, you know, another 20, maybe another decade, two decades, English is the common language of the energy industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, if you get down onto the operating floor, that's where it becomes very specific where you need to know the country languages. And, and, you know, China is a big place now with coronavirus. It's not as (laughs) active right now, but, you know, it is, China's a big place of development. Uh, Europe is a big place, but Europe speaks English Mm -hmm. all the way down the shop floor. Uh, you can go to the Netherlands and you can talk to operators mm-hmm. in English on the shop floor. You can go to Germany and talk to operators. Mexico, again, you'll need to know, depending on what part of Latin America, it's mm-hmm. either Portuguese or Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you'll need to know. But what companies do when you gain those, when you go to those operations, you will go through and learn that language before you go there. They're, they will put you through learning the language and the culture that you're about to go into because all the cultures are different. So I tell people with an engineering degree to, to walk out with understanding English and being able to communicate in English and write in English uh, is a good place because that's universal in our in our industry. Right, right. And, you know, that's a really good point I want people to take away. When you join a company and they're a global company and they're going to send you or you're going to go and interact, there is a cultural immersion piece. Um, big companies yes. are fantastic about that. Oftentimes people will get their own um, language professor to help them one-on-one. So just know, uh, you know, we are a culture who speaks one language. Um, the rest of the world, do not, they don't. They speak multiple languages. So I'm yes. always a big proponent of, of an additional language. But knowing you, if you don't have it, that companies, especially large ones, will help you with that. We'll do it. So as we kind of come to the end, which I don't want to because I have a bazillion questions for you, um, I asked you to have three words of wisdom for our listeners. So I'm going to turn it over to you to to provide those. My three words of wisdom for the for the listeners are one: believe in yourself, truly believe in your own capabilities, trust when others tell you and give you honest feedback take it and reflect and adjust. And third, no matter where you've been, where you were raised, born, school, college, two-year degree program, be yourself when you're either in the college or when you're in the work environment. Don't try to be somebody else because the person they hired Mm. was you. And use your talents and skills to make it the very best for both you and the company that you work with and grow that's and beautiful. develop. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, you know, the feedback part, oh, I think, is so critical. It is not comfortable, but it is a gift that is given to you. If you can stop, listen, reflect, and make modifications. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, we hate conflict. That's not comfortable. But, I mean, it, it truly is a gift to get that feedback. So I love that one. Oh, I'll just tell you, I'll, I always have a rule of thumb when somebody's giving me feedback is when they're through speaking, I will list, I will stay quiet for at least 30 to 45 seconds, reflecting and listening, thinking about what they just said. And typically in that 30, 45 seconds, they will give me additional feedback and additional insight that's deeper and what they just shared with me. And that's truly what helps me become better. And uh, I'll just pass that as a tidbit on to the listeners. Is if listening is truly stopping and not saying anything mm-hmm. and thinking about what people yeah, say. Yeah, and that I'm sure <laughs> they probably thought you were going to start crying. <laughs> people don't know what to do with silence. That's one thing you have to get really comfortable with in the counseling field is silence because that's that's where the yeah. the really beautiful moments come from. So that's that's a great tidbit. So. Yeah. Thank you so much, Terry, for joining us from Houston, Texas. He was actually going to fly in, and I said, no, please, you don't have to. So um, if you're interested in getting access to the additional podcast um, before they're released, you can sign up at whatsyourcareerstory.com. Um, we're airing two new podcasts each month. 
um, which has just been so much fun. We are having great response from everybody. But I also wanted people to know that if young adults don't know what they're wanting to do with their lives, that's why I'm here. That's why we're doing these podcasts, because I want people to know there are actual ways to make informed decisions, and that is through comprehensive career exploration, which includes aptitude testing. Can your brain do it? Terry, did you play Legos when you were little? Yes, I did. <laughs> that It's a little sick game I play with myself. Normally, my engineers always play played with Legos, which is kind of a fun way to, to see how those things will come out in careers. You have to have a high spatial to do engineering. So yes. um, college is too expensive to flounder. Um, and I really want my young adults to enjoy their college experience and to be at the right place and to study something they're curious about. That was kind of the, the thing throughout um, Terry's message today was being curious and um, wanting to learn. And if you don't know why you're there, or what you're doing, then you're missing the, the incredible experience that's college. And, you know, same thing with adults. People often think, gosh, I, you know, I'm 35, 40, I should have figured it out. But there's a reason there's a midlife crisis and we help with adults as well. So um, my name is Dana Reeder, and we look forward to you joining us next month. And I hope all of you proceed with confidence. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to What's Your Career Story. If you'd like early access to episodes, you can join us at whatsyourcareerstory.com. If you'd like to learn about career paths, sign up for our monthly newsletter, which is also available at whatsyourcareerstory.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.